Welcome to the Russell Westcott Podcast, helping real estate investors like you acquire the inspiration, knowledge, and skills that you need to start, grow, and scale the real estate investing portfolio of your dreams. Today on the show... I was excited. I mean, I was hungry. I was motivated. I was ready to conquer the real estate world. And I couldn't believe I was going to get to do this full time, right? The one of the biggest hurdles that people have is not having the time. I had just cleared that hurdle and I just thought the deals are going to start flowing in, right? It's going to be smooth sailing. Hey guys, how's it going? Wow. Are you guys ever in for a special treat? This, uh, you know what? I've been working with uh, our guest presenter on this presentation for a little while, and I'll tell you what, he so over-delivered, even beyond my wildest expectations. So, guys, I'm going to keep this intro fairly short because we're going to get right into it. This is part of a uh, webinar that we did talking about uh, more of a tactical presentation. We, we're gonna, we dove headfirst into the, the $725,000 vendor take-back strategy. Now, even of, just in and of itself, that right there is just phenomenal just walking through the ins and outs and how to do that. This presentation went deep. We really went deep into how do you find the your vendor take back opportunities and once you maybe found an opportunity how do you start building relationship with the seller because it's seller financing how do you educate the seller and how do you execute and then my guest presenter just took it up another notch from there and just so over delivered i was just you know i was honest to goodness i was gushing i almost had to sit there and have a bowl of popcorn and a remote control and i didn't say too much once we got rolling because mike just grabbed the ball and just ran all the way to the end zone with it. So guys, hope you enjoy this uh, this webinar. It is a fantastic look at a vendor take-back strategy. Just another tactic and another strategy to buy real estate without using your own capital. Now guys, here's, here's what I'm also going to put this out to you. If you are watching this as part of the Raising Capital Academy, um, I'm looking for more people. If you have a strategy, if you have something you would like to teach and go into the level that Mike shared here with you, you guys, there is significant benefits to be able to teach and share strategies like this. Because you know what, I'm as we talk about towards the end, the more you teach something, the more you deepen the learning, the more you teach something, more starts coming to you and attracting to you. The more you teach something, more people are attracted to you that might become investment partners. The more you teach something you are held accountable to the results so long-winded way of saying if any of you guys have a strategy that you would like to share that you'd like to teach that you'd like to give back to the community and help inspire people just to take one more step forward reach out let me know what that strategy is and I can help you walk through your presentation I can help you build it out for you if you if you want as well then here's the cool thing is once you have that presentation you know what you do you then present it to multiple people you present it to other people it's part of your secret sauce which makes you a successful real estate investor. Okay, with all that being said, enjoy this uh, webinar, guys, and we'll talk to you at the end. Yep. All right, guys, so welcome here. Um, we're about 504, so you guys know we're going to be doing lots of timeouts and some participation. Mike has a presentation that he's going to share here with us in just a second. So, Mike, why don't you get that from your end, get it all set up? And I'll uh, I'll do a little quick uh, song and dance and some context and introduction here of you as well. So guys, welcome here. Um, this is going to be a very fun uh, webinar tonight, and we're going to have a lot of. Uh, it's going to be an in-depth training uh, video here as well. So so guys, what's the best way to do it? I'm going to put this in some context. So here's the context. So so 
Typically in this realm of real estate, I know there's 10,000 things we need to do and there's 10,000 tasks that we need to do. But if you are truly interested in growing and scaling your portfolio, two of the big buckets you need to do is finding deals and raising capital, okay? Um, tonight, we're actually going to walk you through a case study that's going to share both of them, how to find a deal, some off-market strategies and finding deal, and also how to raising the capital from a vendor take back. And then also, Mike, um, we're going to talk a little bit about your money partner that's investing in this too. If you don't mind as well, we'll, 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 share, we'll share that as well. So Sounds good. I'm, uh, I'm going to introduce, so Mike, just say hello to everybody for us first. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to be here looking yes. at, uh, I'm excited to give some value to you guys, I hope. Nice. Well, there is no hope involved. There's definitely going to be some value here. Yeah. I've seen this. I've seen this presentation. And, you know, what, what can I say about uh, Michael Bug? You know, there, there are people that you come across in your lifetime that when you first meet them and you meet them, they just have it. And you just don't know what it is. And the best way I can describe it is they have the X factor. Um, they have the the genuineness of heart. They do the right things. They do right by people. They help people. They just have a heart. They just give. And Mike has all of those things. And I can't put my finger on exactly what he has, but he just has something. And and that something is not is going to take Mike places that you guys, you're just seeing Mike on the start of his curve upwards. And everything I have ever thrown at Mike, he has just handled it. And he's not only handled it, he has just excelled at it. And no different for what he's going to do here tonight. And he's going to share a little bit about his backstory, a little story about this case study. But guys, what I want you to do, everybody, open up your chat box, open the chat box. And I'm actually going to, we're going to get a little energy. Everybody at home, you're going to be at home and we won't be able to see you. And you're going to be, everyone in your house is going to think you're crazy. Okay. What you're going to do, everyone at home, put your hands on your table, wherever you're watching, you're going to give a little rumble. Let's have a little table rumble. All right, guys, rumble, rumble, rumble. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bug. Hey, Mike. Oh, wow. <laughs> Look, that's quite an intro. And I was getting ready for this, and I, I thought I would put a Kleenex box here just in case I needed it. And you, you went pretty heavy there. Um, so I'm glad I have that handy because, yeah. I mean, Russell, thanks. That's quite an intro. Um, guys, I'm just before follow, I'm not going to jump in here, Mike, I'm actually going to take a lot of time off tonight. You're actually going to run the show. I'm going to give you the control. I'm actually going <laughs> to yeah. hand you the baton here tonight. But guys, okay. jump in, jump into the chat box, and let's give Mike a little bit of a uh, little bit of a uh, 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 congratulations or a little bit of uh, a little bit of love here, and and just uh, or give him some encouragement and how to on taking tonight's presentation up to another notch, right? So. All right, Mike, so the control is yours 100%. So I'm just going to stand back here in the background, and I'm going to just support and jump in from time to time with maybe an insight or two, but I have a feeling I'm going to be pretty quiet tonight. So the floor is yours. I'll let let you man uh, the the chat box and questions because I don't know if I'm seeing them. Um, But, yeah, let's dive in. So I just wanted to share with you guys, I'm going to take you through a little bit of a case study um, of kind of my journey and how I was feeling and how we were able to overcome some of those obstacles. So I had a little fun with the title of this. I'm calling it being held hostage by banks and realtors, because that's really how I felt, um, in this, in this process, in my sort of journey of trying to break free and grow our real estate portfolio. So my promise to everyone tonight is 
I'm here to try and provide you guys with some value. So I'm so excited to be here. I mean, this community, I'm just ready to dive in. And I want to share and be honest about the struggles that I had that we all face as real estate investors and some ways to overcome them. So I promise to deliver a step-by-step guide that, that we've created that can, like Russell said, help you source both properties and capital to grow your real estate portfolio. So as we all know, capital and deals are the lifeblood of a real estate investor. So wouldn't it be great if they were just hiding in the same spot? So this building here is the actual case study that I'll be referencing throughout this evening. So uh, this is in the Saskatoon market. That's the market I invest in. And this was our latest uh, real estate acquisition. So I'm going to kind of walk you guys through that. And we're going to take a little bit of a real estate fishing trip. Hang on here. Fishing trip. I'm, I know somebody from New Brunswick that's probably going to be very excited about going on a fishing trip here. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> They'll know more about fishing than me. That's for sure. But um, yeah, before before we dive in, first, I have to show off how good of a student I've been. So who do you think I learned this from, Russell? We have to open with gratitude. So all joking aside, guys, <laughs> honestly, I really, really mean it. Thank you, Russell. Like, I mean, we have spent a ton of time together over the last two years, uh, virtually just like this across computer screens in person, uh, some road trips, some airplane trips. And honestly, I'm just, I'm so grateful to have met you, to have you in my life as a mentor, as a friend. Um, and this community guys, this community is really special. I know we've all been around plenty of, plenty of different real estate groups and Facebook groups. And this one is just different. Uh, so much support and encouragement. And honestly, I want to thank everyone for that. This is my first type of these presentations. Um, I'm a little bit nervous. I'll just face that head on. And I was saying to Russell before everyone jumped on, I'm just so happy it can be in this community. I know, you know, if I'm, I'm going to maybe mess up a few times and you guys are here to support that and just have us all continue to grow. So I thank you so much. Um, so with that, let's dive in. So I just want to set the scene a little bit for everyone that may not know me, or even if you do know me, you, you may not have known how I was feeling because I probably didn't share a lot about that. So July 17th, 2018 was a monumental day for me. That was my last official day working as a veterinarian. And so like most real estate investors, I had been dreaming of that day for years. I mean, Rosalie and I were growing our portfolio. And then with the help of Russell, even a little bit of a push, I remember, I remember our coaching meeting vividly where you had circled the day on the calendar. Um, and July 17th was the day. So I made the leap. I was absolutely scared shitless, but I can't tell you how excited I was. And in the lead up to that, so I had given the resignation <coughs> to my job. And in that lead up, my first apartment deal just fell in my lap. And I mean, literally like a group of investors in the city asked me if I wanted to come along and walk through this building and I'm always up for learning. So I thought, Hey, I'll tag along. I wanted to learn the apartment lingo, but I had absolutely no intention of getting involved in that deal. Next thing I know, we're all sitting around having a coffee, start crunching some numbers. And before I know it, I was an apartment building owner. And honestly, it was easy. I didn't ever expect the first one to happen like that. So by the time July 17th rolled around, I was excited. I mean, I was hungry. I was motivated. I was ready to conquer the real estate world. And I couldn't believe I was going to get to do this full time, right? The one of the biggest hurdles that people have is not having the time. I had just cleared that hurdle 
And I just thought the deals are going to start flowing in, right? It's going to be smooth sailing. So the fishing trip begins, right? Step one in this sort of becoming an apartment real estate mogul here in Saskatoon is I had to let the realtors know. It's an entirely different world, different rules, different realtors involved. And I needed them to know I'm a serious buyer. And so I had a little bit of clout because we did that previous real estate deal. Um, So I was out shaking hands, meeting tons of realtors, getting on all of their mailing lists and thinking, this is going to be easy. Deals are just going to start flowing in. And I was absolutely wrong. So shortly after that is when I just hit the wall, right? Reality just hit me. And two things became very obvious after months of being on all these mailing lists. Number one, most apartment buildings that are listed on the MLS are significantly overpriced. And number two, most pro formas are cooked. And so I just want to dive into those just for a minute. We're not going to dwell on these, but just to kind of elaborate on. So number one, most listed apartments are significantly overpriced. So let's think about that. How does a listing agent get paid? Well, they need to sell listings. And to sell a listing, first, they have to get that listing under contract, right? So step number one is just to get the vendor to sign the contract. So if they have to sign it at 25% above market price, that's what they'll do. Now, disclaimer here, this isn't all realtors. So I I don't know if, if there's a realtor watching. I'm not looking to get ganged up on. But this was very true and very common in my market. I mean, I have endless examples of this happening. And point number two, uh, so for anyone who doesn't know what cooked means, it basically just means it's false, right? The numbers and the picture painted of the building are not at all reality. And this might be intentional. It might be a mistake. I'm not going to judge or speculate that. But the data you're receiving is garbage. So you can have the, the best, most advanced spreadsheet in the world. And I know we all, we all love to have our spreadsheets and analyze deals. But if you have garbage going in for data, you're going to get garbage coming out. And so those were just two huge frustrations for me. So Mike, was that a, a fairly recent picture of, of, of you at the, at the table with your head in your hands? So, so how about that yeah. from the highs of when you first retired to the lows of your head, giving, almost giving up there? Yeah, I can't even, the, the roller coaster of real estate investing is very real. And that was a very recent picture. Yes. Yes. So. And, and, well, and I'm going to, I'm going to take a time out here for a second, Mike, if you need to grab a drink of water, by all means, grab a drink of water. Um, it was quite interesting that on your final day of work on your picture, you had a picture of a cat on your shirt. That's my um, favorite shirt. Your favorite shirt as yeah. a veterinarian. Um, can you tell the story of the straw that broke the camel's back on what the, what the, what, what, and I remember like it was, you know, yesterday when you finally just said, Russ, I've had enough. I'm given my notice. What was the, was there a moment that you gave when you decided to give your notice? What was that moment? Absolutely. There was, I got, I got peed on by a cat. Um, and so it was, I don't remember the cat's name. If if I did, I I would assume it was like Diablo or some very vicious name because this cat was the cat from hell. And there was three of us, so me and two of my vet ex working on this, and like we couldn't control this thing. It was it was like wild. Um, and one of the girls picks him up, and he just starts like pissing everywhere, and he got all of us all down my face, and I was just covered in cat pee. 
And I, I don't know if anyone knows just how potent cat pee is, but it's basically the worst. And I remember that's when I was standing there and I was just like, I'm done. I'm done. That was it. The, the camel's back was broken. Yep. And you know, we, we have the, we have a working title of that presentation as I was pissed on by one too many cats. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And that is my favorite shirt. And I wore that shirt intentionally for my last day. Like I, I had it saved like a week in advance. So nice, nice. Sorry yeah. for a digression. No, that was awesome. So yeah, so I, I literally, I can't describe how this all left me feeling, right? Like feeling like so frustrated. I was gung-ho <coughs> to become this full-time real estate mogul. I want to grow our portfolio. And I just felt like I ran into a brick wall and there was just no quality deals coming across my desk and everyone was trying to sell me crap, right? So overwhelmed and second guessing myself, right? I second started second guessing myself. Like, have I made a mistake? Do I even have what it takes to be in this industry? And then the other thing that really discouraged me was that I felt like I couldn't compete with the big boys, right? So every market has them in Saskatoon. There's a few big REITs here. They can just gobble up any deal that comes along in pure cash. And I'm like, how can I possibly compete with this? So after several months of this and feeling super overwhelmed, I knew I had to do something different. Um, I couldn't be a real estate investor that didn't actually do any real estate deals. And so I was like, to hell with it. If I have to go and hunt and find these deals on my own, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. And there was also another little announcement that came along this time too, wasn't there, Mike? Are you referring to, are you referring to Riley? Or? Uh, yes. When, wasn't yeah. it around this time when you first, uh, first discovered you, you were pregnant? Not you were pregnant, but Rosalie was pregnant. Yeah, that's got to be somewhere in there. So <laughs> nothing like piling on a little more overwhelm. I mean, it's great, but first time through it, you don't know what to expect. So with that, I got to dive a little deeper into that last day. So Russell, we talked about like that picture of me in my cat shirt, just smiling ear to ear when I got home. Um, and I mean, I have the best wife in the world. Rosalie is so supportive. And so when I got home from work that day, it was a Tuesday, so it's midweek, but she kind of had this, this whole celebration planned, right? We popped some champagne. She had bought me like a new real estate investing outfit. I had a really nice jacket, a nice new pair of shoes. And this photo here, that is actually the box that the shoes came in. And Rosalie didn't know that when she bought them, right? She just picked the shoes off the shelf and they come in a box. And so I opened the lid and that was the message. Hey, do the future, never step back. <coughs> and I've saved that shoe box and I keep it still to this day because there are going to be times when you feel like retreating. And I certainly felt like that. Like, I've been a vet for 10 years. I, I can do surgery in my sleep. And it would have been very easy to go run back to that and just say, you know what? I can't do this. It's not for me. Um, so that's just a reminder for everyone that when, when that hits and that, that wells up for you, you got to push and never step back, keep moving forward. So as we're going to dive into this framework, I do want to just have one quick pause. And I'm just throwing this in here to kind of a quick reset because I know real estate investors, we get really fired up and we want to buy, buy, buy. And I cannot emphasize this enough in real estate. You have to have a good deal to buy or good reason to buy a property, right? You don't want to just go buy something just to say you own more doors. That's not a good enough reason. And so as we talk about this vendor take back, just because someone is willing to do one doesn't mean you should, right? The deal still has to be good. It still has to make sense. 
Wow, I, Mike, I, I wish I wish you had told me that uh, probably about 16, 17 years ago when I was buying lots of properties. Oh, well. Well, you would I, have been what in grade, grade what, 10? Yeah, I guess maybe. <laughs> I, I had no clue back then, yeah. But I mean, honestly, that, that's, that's from like listening to guys like you, Russell, that have, that have been there and done that, right? And have learned some lessons the hard way. Um, and that's why this community is so valuable to, to pass that along. Um, so yeah, so as we dive into the framework, I just want to do a quick touch on what a VTB is. I know most people in this community probably already understand it, but it's basically, it's just simply a form of seller financing. So the vendor acts like the bank. So instead of having to go to whatever financial institution you deal with for financing, the vendor will loan you the capital with the building they're selling you sort of secured. So the title does change hands. That's a really important distinction between an agreement for sale. So you are now the legal owner and you have a mortgage obligation to the vendor. So for the point of this presentation, we're not really going to go deep into that, but you do need to know it and you need to understand it because you will have to teach it. Yeah. So, so instead, you know, just Mike, just for just clear, just so I'm, I'm, I'm clear on it. So instead of having CABC or RBC or Canada Western Trust or any other financial company as the mortgage holder, the seller, they're the mortgage holder on this property. Absolutely. Okay. It's, it's the bank of Mr. or Mrs. Vendor. And, and can we use the name, what should we call this guy Frank? We'll call, we'll call the seller Frank. We can sure. remember that. Yeah. Okay, we'll the, call ba Frank. the bank of Frank yeah. is uh, funding my deal for me for nice. 725 grand. So for me, I just view the vendor take back. It's just another tool in my real estate tool belt. When I'm out looking at property, I don't know if it's going to be a fit for a vendor take back right off the hop, but I just want to know if it is, I can reach in that tool belt, pull out that tool, and that's where we're going to dive in. So we've all likely heard of the Burr method, right? That's one of the very, very powerful tool of creating wealth, the buy, renovate, refinance, rent, repeat. So with the framework tonight, we are focusing on buying differently, right? So the B turns into a VTB and you kind of have this VT Burr. Um, and honestly, this is one of the most powerful ways that I've found to grow and snowball your wealth. If you can combine those two strategies, and then especially on apartment buildings, I mean, you're off to the races. So I certainly didn't have this system organized when I started. I was much more of a, a like ready, fire, aim approach. And with time though, we've refined it. And today I'm happy to present kind of the step-by-step -step guide that we have to help you solve those two biggest hurdles of finding deals and finding capital both in the same place. So with the help of Russell, we're calling it the free method. Now, this isn't meant to be the cliche free that you're going to get your property for free and you don't have to do any work or anything. This is much more in alignment with freedom, right? This is the way to either start on that journey to freedom or accelerate your process towards freedom. So it's a proven strategy. I've been using it um, and we've broken it down into four steps. So step number one, is you have to find the deals. And we're going to go deep into each of these. So I'm just going to, going to rip through them. Step number two is you have to build that relationship with the vendor. Step number three is you're going to have to educate the vendor. 
And step number four is to execute on the deal. Sorry, Mike, I, I'm, I'm tearing up a little bit. It's just, you're you using, box you're, of you, Kleenex right you're using an acronym. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know you like the acronym. So we have oh, to get one in there. Love it. Love it. Well done. Okay. So we'll, we'll just sort of, you'll have to quarterback this Russell. Cause I don't know where they're coming in. So where does everyone currently find their real estate deals? All right, guys, so jump on into the chat box, and where do you find your real estate deals? I actually, I'm going to do the first one in there. I have a business partner. Um, Latif says, from a realtor, I have a business partner. Peter says he loves Russell's acronyms. Nice. (laughs) Realtors or events, that's Ben. Um, From events, Kirsten, good to see you, Kirsten. Kirsten, sorry. Uh, Pocket deals from realtors, from Joel. Realtors from Carissa says from builders directly from builders. Um, nice. uh, Aaron said I created a web page and advertise on Facebook and Kijiji. Nice, well done, nice. Aaron. Congratulations. Peter says knocking on doors. Very nice. Realtors and wholesalers from Jeff Redding. Brian door knocking and letters. Nice. Excellent. So we've got a good group, a yeah. very eclectic group here of action takers. That is, that is fantastic. So I threw a few of them down. You guys got, you, you nailed all of them. Um, MLS realtor, wholesalers, buying lists. I like the active marketing that lots of the group is doing. Uh, <coughs> business partner, I know you, you do a lot of that, Russell. Um, and off-market. So for me, off-market is by far and away my favorite. That's where I've found all of my best deals. And that's what we're going to be focusing on here is going off-market and trying to go deep. So my best piece of advice that I can possibly give anyone for looking to secure off-market deals is becoming an area expert. So you need to know your areas inside and out. So I'm talking like walk, bike, drive the streets, the alleys, talk to the neighbors, go to the garage sales, like buy at lemonade at the lemonade stands, anything to be present in that area. And Rosalie and I have done this for years. And we actually, we really enjoy it. And some of our best deals have come from this. So the one story I always like to share is in the Saskatoon neighborhood of North Park. On one street, we own quite a few houses. And we were working at at one of our properties. And I saw like out the window, these community living trucks, like just one after another, all afternoon going by. And so we stopped for a little lunch break. And then on the lawn, I saw like a pile of stuff. There was like a chair and a chainsaw and just a handwritten for sale sign out front. And so I was working with my dad and I was like, man, I got to go check out this chainsaw. And he's kind of like, well, what do you want a chainsaw for? And I was like, I don't care about the chainsaw. I got to go talk to those people and see if they're selling that house. And sure enough, they were cleaning out the house, getting it ready for sale. And we went in, looked through the house right there on the spot started negotiating and we had bought that property before they'd even finished cleaning out the house. So that's the power of being like that area expert. You just can't replace it. So if you're starting out, you will probably need to be the area expert. Now you certainly, you can delegate this, right? Russell, I know you work with a business partner or you can train someone up, but someone has to be an area expert. I I 100% delegate this to a business partner who's also a realtor who does all this groundwork on my behalf. And I stick in my lane. My lane is to find capital. My lane is to raise money from other people. My lane is to bring investors in. And his job is to go find properties. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. So Rosalie and I, we still elect to do this because honestly, we enjoy it. Um, it's part of our like relationship building. You put the cell phones away, you go for a walk, uh, get some time outside. And honestly, uh, you mentioned Riley. The night we went to the hospital uh, for Riley to be born, we were out scouting apartments. So we were out walking around. Um, we were going to go out for dinner and Rosalie's like, I don't think we should. I think something's up. And so yeah, we still do it to this day. Oh, so, I just love these romantic stories. I'm of, a heartless uh, romantic. Uh, oh, these, yeah, these, not heartless. The, what is that? Hopeless romantic. Hope, the, these real estate investors with all their 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 romantic stories of look hand in hand down the street looking at properties. Yes. Yeah, that's our date nights. We 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 still do that. So <laughs> uh, eventually, you do this long enough, people are going to start calling you. So we still get phone calls from neighbors in the, in the areas that we target and they'll call us and they'll say, Hey, my neighbor's thinking of selling, just wanted to let you know. And that comes with time. Um, so now that we're active in an area, we've identified our market, we've identified our sub market. Let's just shift our thinking here a little bit and think <coughs> like an apartment owner. So I know I'm focusing on apartments cause that's our case study. This could be a single family home. It really doesn't matter. We want to think why would someone want to sell an apartment? right? And same if you guys, you can throw some in the chat box if you got some, some of your, your ideas. Um, for me, the things that, I'm, uh, that jump to mind for me in the apartment world is they want to retire. They're sick of self-managing. Maybe it's poor performance, right? The Saskatoon market, we've been declining for the last five years. And we have vendors that are watching that performance. And they're honestly starting to get scared, right? They didn't sign up for this ride on the way down. They just want out. Maybe they've let deferred maintenance pile up. And then the other one, which is sort of intangible, just the timeline of life, right? Everyone's at a different phase. Sometimes it's just time for them to move on. Was there anything else in the chat box that Paul said, uh, Russell? part about just getting old, things like that. So it's just, you yeah. know, is exactly what you mentioned. Right on. So yeah, so we're looking for motivation. I know that that's nothing new, but we're just setting the framework. So let's dive in here. So the free framework, step number one is we have to find the deals. So we know what area we're looking for. We know why people might be selling. And now it's time to go fishing. So this is the fishing trip I alluded to. I personally like to think of this as two potential fishing strategies that we can deploy. Number one, we can go spear fishing, right? So we identify one individual fish or property and specifically target it. Or number two is we can go fishing with a net, right? So just cast that net out, see what we get back. So for me, I like to do both of those. I'm constantly fishing with a net, but I carry my spear around. So if an opportunity presents itself, I can go after it. So let's dive in to the spear fishing. So we've already identified why people may sell. Now there's three key ways that I go find them. And I know I saw them pop up in some of the chat boxes when we were chatting earlier. So in person, remember we're an area expert. We're walking, we're biking these areas. What kind of things are we looking for, right? Any sort of poorly kept building, deferred maintenance, piling up signs of self-management right? No professional markings to be seen. Maybe it's a handwritten for rent sign stuck up in the window. Some dude is mowing the lawn with no shirt on. And like I say that kind of joking, but I'm serious, right? We're trying to get a sense of, is this building running optimally? Is it being treated professionally? Is it being ran like a business? 
or, or, or not. Right. And if you see someone there, that's not taking their business seriously, it's probably not performing that well. And don't be shy. Go talk to them. Go talk to the guy mowing the lawn and try and get the story online. This is what I saw like in the chat box, some, some great, great ones in there. So quick question for everyone who here is growing their real estate portfolio so that they can spend more time managing their properties. Is anyone on this call looking to spend more time managing properties? Uh, hang on. No. No. No No absolutely. way. Nope. 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 LOL. Hey, Julia, good to see you. Julia joined us as well. Oh, Chris, nice. No, nope, nope, nope. John, every, so you, you got the right group here. Okay, excellent. Eventually, everyone gets tired of it. And ask me how I know. We self-managed for years. We're finally almost out of it. And I am so sick of managing properties. <laughs> that right? was the hardest thing that I had in part of the coaching, Mike, was for you to let go of that. That oh, was, well, it was, it was, it was hard. Like, yeah. And now, oh man, why didn't I do it sooner? I don't yeah, know since why. Since then, you've almost, have you tripled your portfolio? Probably. I think, yeah, we at least doubled last year. And like, yeah. we, we literally would not be able to have the portfolio we have now if we still self-manage. Like it would be impossible huh. for sure. And now you're doing it full time too, right? So, yeah. So arguably so, people, you have more, you potentially have more time, but, but that was one of the hardest things you, you were to let go of was to let go of the management. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. So glad I did though. Yep. So yeah. So everyone gets sick of it. You guys mentioned Kijiji Ch scroll Kijiji. You're looking for those four rent by owners and go deep into Kijiji, right? Like get onto page five, six, seven, like go down people that are not updating their ads. They've got no professionalism to them. It's going to be obvious. You'll be able to tell the ads very quickly because those people are not going to be getting phone calls to rent their property <coughs> and they're going to get frustrated, right? Like this, this deal here, the, the Hopkins deal, Frank, uh, self-managed and he was just done. He was just done. It was his time to move on. Um, and then professionals. So quick word on professionals are all property management companies created equally. So my tip here for everyone is, Find out who is the worst property manager in your market and market to those building owners. And again, Guys, time out for a second. What Mike is sharing with you here is an absolute gold tip. Now he's not, you're not throwing any company under the bus here whatsoever, but here's what I would just suggest you do is what Mike said was the worst property manager. Those are the ones that you target. And, Why don't you ask me how I know that? And, and you knew that because you were you worked with them, didn't you, at first? <laughs> oh, man. So remember the start of the presentation, the apartment building that just fell in our lap. And I mean, it was a great deal. Don't regret it for one second. But it came with a property management company attached. And I mean, we could have got rid of them off the start, but you don't know what you don't know, right? So my first apartment. So we thought, yeah, we'll keep the property management company in place. What could go <laughs> wrong? Well, basically everything could go wrong, right? So we found the worst property manager right off the hop. And it was so frustrating. We eventually moved on. Uh, we had to fire them basically and bring in new management. And it was through with coaching with Russell where we had the idea, wait a minute, if I'm this frustrated with how this property management company is treating me, like I'm not special. This is exactly how they're treating everyone else, every well, one of their clients. Not only that, your local 
and they were treating you this way. Yeah. Just imagine if somebody was living in California or White Rock, British Columbia, or somewhere else. Doesn't matter how how the treatment they're getting. Absolutely. And then the best part about this is you don't even have to look that hard, right? You go to their <laughs> website. They have all of their properties on one page for you, right? You don't even have to hunt. You just go to one web page, and now you got a list of twenty five properties to market to, and you know every one of those owners is frustrated. So. Write that one down. That one's a good tip for in your market. Guys, that'll be worth your time for tonight, just in, in even just that one tip alone. So, Okay, so that was a little bit about spear fishing. So now it's time to bring out the net. So this is more of the system. This definitely takes some time to build, but once you have it, it <coughs> is very, very powerful. So everyone in here has probably heard of like a yellow letter campaign or a direct mailer campaign. In the apartment world, it's a little bit different because the owner doesn't live in the property, right? With an owner-occupied house, you can just go knock on the door and drop off a letter. But in the apartment world, we need to find the gatekeeper and they probably don't want to be found, right? Remember, most people do this because they want to be passive investors. So for me in Saskatoon, another frustration is trying to get a hold of these apartment owners in the winter. Like they're snowbirds, they're gone. You can't get a hold of them. So that's another tip for me that we're on the right path here because look how well it's working out for them that they can be gone all winter, but it's very frustrating when you're trying to get their attention. So step number one in this system is to collect some addresses. So I'm going to have a brief nerd moment here. I'm a big X-Men fan. Um, so when I was thinking about this and trying to decide how am I going to get this system off the ground, the first hurdle you have is you don't even know how many apartment buildings are in your market. So I kind of pictured myself like I was like Professor Xavier in X-Men and he can put on his helmet and he goes into Cerebro and if he just concentrates, he can focus on all the mutants and they just pop out above the crowd. So I don't know if anyone's an X-Men fan, but I am. You can probably picture it if you are. Are you looking at me when you're saying all this, Mike? So, uh, yes, maybe, maybe. No, okay, no, yeah. no judgment. <laughs> um, so that's what first thing we need to do is we got to get all these apartment buildings sorted from the crowd. Now, this is a low-value task. It takes a lot of work. So I just hired it out. And I literally hired someone to drive and walk every single street in Saskatoon and find every single apartment building, right? Just collect the physical address write it down for me and get me that address. Now, who did you, who did you use and what did you pay for that, Mike? Uh, we used our house cleaner and I think we paid 15 bucks an hour. I honestly can't remember somewhere around there. Like I'm sure I could have found cheaper, but we were, ha we were happy to pay that for, for that service. So yeah. you were, she was working for you already, potentially cleaning some of the properties and things like that. And you just add, added hours to, she was probably happy to do it. Oh yeah. She was thrilled to do it. And I was like, you can do it whenever you want, like your timeline. I'll, I'll give you like five neighborhoods and you have a, a week or two to get those done. Then we'll do another five neighborhoods whenever you want. And she was thrilled. Yeah. And I, I remember when we, when we designed this whole campaign for you and, and really you just, did she have like a clipboard and just wrote down handwritten addresses, or did she type them or what was the process? For me, we just used a clipboard. Um, yep. It, 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 in the future, I would go more tech. Like if you could give them like an iPad and drop it right into a Google drive file, that would have saved me some work. Um, 
in hindsight, but we just did clipboard. Yep. Nice. Yep. Um, so now that you got the addresses, you have to convert that into some useful data. Okay. So we have an address, but we need an owner. So here in Saskatoon, what I can do with a physical address is I can just go online to the city website and convert that address into a legal address, right? So the lot block parcel number, that's what I'm looking for. <coughs> this is all online. It's all free. And I, I also outsourced this step. So I just used an, an overseas virtual assistant, sent them the physical addresses. I did a big step-by-step -step document, like with screenshots, exactly how to find this data. And then they, they went and mined the data for me and sent it back. And so, so you got back a spreadsheet with apartment address and legal, uh, and legal, legal address and then also owner? The the we haven't found the owner yet. Okay. So okay, we have the physical address and now we have the legal address as the city describes it, right? Like lot block parcel. Nice. So then we go a step further. Now we need to try and get to the title of that building to try to find the owner, right? Finding the owner is our goal. So I pull the title information with that legal data and this will tell me the owner. Now I'm sure every province is different here in Saskatchewan. I don't actually have to pull the title because you have to pay for that. I can just pull up the screenshot and that tells me the owner and that's all I needed. So I just pulled that and got that information. Now, the catch is in the apartment world, when you see that owner, most of the time it's a corporation, right? So in this stage of the fishing trip, like we're getting close, there's sort of fish popping up on the fish finder but we can't stop here because knowing the corporation is still not enough, right? We need to find like the gatekeeper. And so people sell for emotional reasons. So we need to find a human. We need a human because they are emotional. So sending a letter to the PO box of the lawyer of some corporation is not going to get us an emotional response. So this is where I, I think most people stop here from what I've heard, keep going. So then I added even more steps and I started pulling the shareholder like registry of the corporation, right? Cause I want humans. I want to find the people. So then I would go and pull a full profile report on that company. And it's crazy. You can get all of this online. It's, um, it's all public domain documents. Yeah. Like for this step, I had to pay $6 to actually get that, that information from ISC. But then it would spit out all of the shareholders of that company. Sometimes you'd have to spend another $6 because sometimes corporations are owned by corporations. So if that happens, I just go another layer deeper, right? I, I do not stop until I have a person's name that I can contact. Then... So I know we're going, going long here, but the point is you got to get down to that person. So once I find the shareholders, you're going to find there's all sorts of class of shareholders. I want everyone that has voting rights, anyone that has voting rights to that company, because that means they have a seat at the table. They have a vote with what that company is going to do. So I don't just contact one person and think I'm done, right? Never assume anything, right? One person doesn't speak for the whole group. Every individual is at a different place in their life. They have different motivations. They may not be on the same page. So my theory was contact them all. 
even if they have the same last name, right? They may not be on the same page, even if they have the same last name. So I go out and reach out to all of them. And with that, I'm hoping to just get them talking, right? If there's four different shareholders, they all get letters. They're going to call each other. And that, that conversation is going to start. Hey, should we sell that building? You know, I've been thinking about it now. Maybe I will. And so I can't stress this enough, guys. If you're going to implement a system like this, take it all the way across the finish line. Don't put in just the first four steps and stop because you're missing a lot of the value. Yeah. And then there's um, also another step because the, the guys, the, the, the gold is actually in the follow-up as well as what Mike's going to share with you next here. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, this is step one. Like this is just very initial contact. Now, if you can get a phone number, that's always my favorite gold standard, pick up the phone, call them. Most of the time with this strategy, I'm just getting a physical address, but it's the home address of the shareholder, and I will initiate then a letter campaign. Yeah, this is absolutely brilliant. Now, before, if you need to take a drink, Mike, take a drink. I got a real quick, fun story to share with you of a, a fellow who I know in Edmonton who he has a fairly similar system, but what he does is he has his target properties and he has phone numbers of these people. And what he does is, is in his calendar, every year he calls them once a year minimum to find out if they still want to sell. And he shared a story with the longest from first contact to eventually selling was 12 years. So for 12 years straight, he called this one owner of this one property. And after 12 years, the person finally sold it to them. I remember when you told me that story for the first time. And yes. that's amazing. Like, that's just amazing. Like, do you have the, the follow-up to do that after 12 years of keep doing that? And it, honest to goodness, it was like, he got to know the person. It was like, daddy, it was like Ukrainian, a good Ukrainian owner. And that he was talking to him and he, and he goes, yeah, he goes, are you, do you want to sell? He goes, daddy, I don't want to sell. And Terry goes, well, I'll call you next year. Yeah. And then 12 years, a year later, call him again. Yeah. And I'll, I'll kind of like add to that. This is my thoughts around this. It's really deciding what you want, right? If your goal is to buy one apartment building and that's it, and you're happy with that, which is totally fine, you probably don't need to build this big elaborate system. For me, we're, we have some big goals and we're, I'm playing the infinite game. So I'm fine to reach out to a vendor for 12 consecutive years because I'm still going to be playing the game in 12 years. So a little uh, kind of word on my outreach campaign. This is just how I do it. You're going to get many different uh, opinions and examples. So in the single family world, a lot of time people will talk about doing sort of that handwritten scribbled letter just on a <coughs> notepad sort of stuffed into their door. And it makes sense because then they open it, right? They think it was personalized just to them. The multifamily world is a bit different because you're dealing with like higher value property. It's a more professional game. So how I approach it is kind of these four P's of outreach. Number one is I have to provide value to them, right? I have to solve some of their problems. I'm always polite. I try to be very professional. Um, so my, my outreach has my letterhead. I actually put Dr. Mike Bug, which I've never signed my name doctor, but on this I do because I want that credibility. Um, and then persistent follow-up, which we just talked about, is most people drop the ball there. They send one letter, one time, and then they give up. Oh, Mike, and four words all starting with the letter P? Nice. 
So that I have to give full credit to Rosalie on. Uh, I just did like the content. She made everything pretty and nice. So that is 100% Rosalie. Um, so, so a little word on solving their problems. So I always want to provide value. And so it, again, it goes back to thinking, why are they going to sell? What are some of the problems they're encountering? So in my letter, I try to touch on all of these, right? So I'll mention that this can help them save commission or that we can close quickly, that I have the team in place that can handle any size of renovation project. And so in this case study with, with Frank, this is exactly what, what got him to call me. So he had multiple units completely ripped apart, right? Like the bathrooms completely gutted. And he found himself in a situation where he was just overwhelmed by the renovation. So when he gets my letter that says, Hey, no worries. My team can handle it. It was relief for him, right? I just solved his problem and that's why he called me. And then again, with the professionalism, they want to know you're serious, right? And that you, they, they know that you know what you're talking about. So a quick funny story here, because there's always challenges with this. It doesn't go off without a hiccup. So I told you how I had outsourced all of this and hired everything out. And then one day I get a, a pretty nasty voicemail um, and it went something along the lines of, uh, oh, hello there, Dr. Bug. Are you even a doctor? Because I can't imagine anyone could pass their exams if they can't tell the difference between a house and an apartment. And he's like, you just sent me a letter asking to buy my apartment when I clearly live in a house. And then he went on and on. Like it was a, a many minute long voicemail where this guy was just ripping me apart. So he's clearly having a bad day. <coughs> um, and you know, don't get discouraged. For me, I had two big takeaways there. Number one, my next batch of letters went out. So I was like, sweet, they went out. And number two, I was like, okay, well, there's a, there's a hiccup in the system because these shouldn't be going to houses. So I had to go trace that particular address back and then found out that the problem was um, just with the physical address collection, um, it was a cross street. And so the, the lady had grabbed the wrong cross street. So instead of going to that, that apartment over there, it went to that house over there. Um, and those things are going to happen. Don't let it discourage you. You got to stay patient, patient, and trust the process. Well, I, I would, I would also say it gave val, it would give me validation that my marketing worked. That here you go, you've got somebody who it doesn't even apply to to pick up a telephone to to call you to tell you how wrong you were, which is actually a good letter. And um, did you have some help writing that letter, Mike? Yeah, I had a good coach, you know, that really helped me help me build this process. Yeah, no, it was just that's just a, and and you. One of the other things you found that worked very well too was um, a lot of things about talking about would you like um, a, a market update? Because there was lots of people that lived out of town, right? Yes. And yeah. you you were providing consultations to a lot of these out of town owners, and just would you like me to provide you some research and some of my research on what's going on in the Saskatoon market, because some of them were completely in the dark, weren't they, about what was going on? A hundred percent. So that, that whole finding it in that net system, that just gets me initial contact. Once they reach out to me, they don't mail me a, a handwritten letter back. They call me. So then we switch from a mailing relationship to a phone call relationship. So we're, we're way, it's way warmer. And now we have, we can have interactions I have people in my system right now that live out of town. And when they come into town, 
that will go for coffee, right? They're not ready to sell yet, but they still want to go for coffee and talk about it. And when the time's right, like they, they've even said, they're like, yeah, when the time's right. I mean, whether they'll deliver on that or not, but I keep giving them value. I give them market updates, you know, help them along. Um, and it seems to be working. And some of these conversations that you shared with me, like they're they're really personal and they're just crazy how much information they give you and and uh, you know and some fairly wealthy individuals when you're talking to them too. That's the thing. This isn't just like a deal hunting system. This is also an investor and a capital hunting system because exactly that. Like these these people own apartments. They're financially savvy individuals. So when you, it doesn't matter whether you're talking about buying their apartment and sometimes they're like, you know what, you seem to be doing a pretty good job. I want to buy more apartments, but I'll just buy them with you. Right? Like the conversation can go both ways and it's, that's fantastic. So, Oh, go ahead. No, I said very cool. Oh yeah. So, I mean, perfect segue. It's that, that was almost like we planned it, even though we didn't, uh, <laughs> the next step in this framework is all around the relationship. Okay. So we built the system. We found the deals, either the individual spear hunting or the casting the net, the relationship piece has already begun. So it's exactly like we just talked about, right? The first contact was made <laughs> and now we have to build off of that. So during the finding phase, we were kind of choosing the fishing hole, using the fish finder, choosing our bait and our fishing method. We found our spot and we got a little bit of a nibble on the line, right? In the relationship phase, it's all about feeling the vendor out. Okay. So we want to gather as much information as we possibly can to help us decide, is, is this even a deal we want? Is this a fish we even want to keep? So we still have no clue if the deal is good or not, or if it's even a fit as a vendor take back. But we have our first and absolutely critical piece of information, which is the vendor is curious, right? They contacted you. They nibbled on the line. They replied to your outreach. So unless it was to blast you with a voicemail, this is a good thing, right? There's some level of motivation there. Now we just have to go find out how much. And this is certainly more of an art than a science, right? Like there's, I don't have a playbook that I just follow verbatim with each uh, individual because it's, it's all about feeling them out. So I take a really different approach depending how a property shows up on my desk. So I know we are focusing on off-market deals here. I do just want to touch on sort of listed properties because I handle them very differently. So if a property is listed on the MLS and is presented to me by a realtor, usually it comes with a good amount of information already up front. So I'll have the list price. I'll have some disclosure of financials. Um, and I'll approach those things very matter of fact, because I, I rarely get the chance to have FaceTime with the vendor, right? It goes from me to my realtor, to another realtor, to the vendor. So I just go in a lot more direct. Often I will offer on those buildings before I even view them. Or at the very least, I'll throw out a verbal offer just to see, are we even talking close to the same number? Because I don't want to waste too much time looking at and walking through overpriced product. Um, and I just want to sh share a quick story around be being whipsawed. So honestly, I just heard this term for the first time like a few months ago. Um, so when you're whipsawed kind of in the real estate industry, this happened to me very early on when I was hunting for apartment buildings. And 
It was a listed building. And I mean, they were so off on their price. Like we were, we were hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars apart. And I go and I walk through the building and here I am thinking, well, wait a minute. If I just put this beautiful package together very logically and describe the Saskatoon market and and everything that's going on and tell the vendor like the pros and the cons of their building and really explain my offer, it'll all be very clear to them and they'll, they'll, they'll accept it, right? Logically. And it's like, that doesn't work. All that's happening there is they're taking every, all of my knowledge I've given them um, and my offer, and they're leveraging it to get other offers from other people. So that's when you're getting kind of whipsawed back and forth between other potential purchasers. Um, and I grew pretty tired of that pretty quickly. I spent a lot of time on those and it just w- was going nowhere. With off-market deals, I go straight to the walkthrough. My number one goal is I want FaceTime with the vendor, with the decision maker, right? So instead of making an offer first with those, I just arrange a meeting and I head straight to the building. So with the walkthrough, you've managed to get kind of in front of the vendor at the property. And that, that, that's one of the most important things. So now that we're there, what is the most important skill that you need to use. And I'll give everyone a quick hint here. It's you need to use your listening muscle. And it's so important that I've got it on here as second and third and fourth. It is all about listening, guys, right? We need to listen to everything they're saying. You do not want to go in there assuming that you know, right? Don't assume anything. Listen for them to tell you. Now, a few other little tricks that I like to employ here um, is mirroring. So this this comes from the book, uh, Never Split the Difference. So phenomenal book. I highly recommend everyone reads it. But basically mirroring is just repeating back the last two to three words of the end of someone's sentence. So I might, I might ask the vendor, uh, when did you purchase this building? And they'll say, oh, I purchased it in 2012. And then I'll just be purchased it in 2012 and just pause and be very comfortable with silence, right? Let them talk. It's human nature. If you pause, they'll fill the silence with more speaking and they'll give you more information. So it's not an interrogation. It's just a conversation. You just want them to do most of the talking. I saw the chat box was lighting up. Do we have anything to address in there? No. Okay, all good. Everybody typing in listening. Oh, (laughs) excellent, excellent. Um, so again, this is more my approach to it with this relationship building. I work off the principle of anyone I do business with probably wants to know, like, and trust me and likewise for me. So the finding the property, now they know about me, they know I exist. The relationship phase is getting in front of them and hopefully they start to like me and start to trust me. And then we can, can do some business together. So during the conversation, I want to find out key information, right? Why are they selling? (coughs) How long have they owned the building? And you can ask things in different ways, right? You can say instead, when did you purchase the building? And as we're doing the walkthrough, we'll build rapport. Our conversation level will grow deeper. And so you can ask things like, you know, like, what are your plans after you sell the building? Or or maybe turn it into a little more of a joke and say, hey, where are you going to go on vacation once you sell this thing, right? And what I'm listening for is I'm trying to get a sense of their position with the building. Um, Sometimes I'll have to ask directly, like, do you have financing on it? Or do you have a mortgage balance? 
I always ask if they own other properties, right? Because lots of times they're multiple property owners. And then the other thing is I'm always listening for them complaining about tenants. So I'm just trying to get a sense of their motivation and where they are like in the position of their life. The other thing, this is, I, I really like this one. This is a good tip to write down is remember you're at the building and they are trying to sell you on the building. So they're going to tell you everything that is great about this building. Now you're building rapport. So don't go in there and rip the building apart, right? At least this is my strategy. There's some people that go in guns a blazing and you, you have no idea what this building means emotionally to them, right? This could be their baby. They may have owned it 30 years. They may have even built the building. And if you go in there and start ripping it apart, you've lost all affinity to each other. So just sit there and listen, listen to all the amazing features. Cause that's what they're going to be pointing out. They're trying to sell you on the building. Just take notes of all that. Don't get hung up on finding all the defects. If you move forward on a deal, you're going to have a condition where you get to do your full walkthrough. And that's when I go in there with the, with the magnifying glass and look for everything. But on this initial walkthrough, it's all about building the relationship, right? Grab the big picture, like are the windows new or old? Um, what's the mechanical room look like? But you don't have to go over every little detail. You got anything to say, Russell? Oh, I'm like just, I'm, I'm, I'm basking in your brilliance here, my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're doing the walkthrough. The VTB alarm bells should start ringing in your head. If you start hearing things like lots of equity, no mortgage, uh, motivation of some type, right? <laughs> maybe they want to shed some type of responsibility. Maybe that's management duties or renovation duties. They're overwhelmed by tenants. The other thing I really like to hear is no real specific use for capital, right? When they say, when you say, Hey, what are you going to do when you sell this thing? I'm going to put the money in the bank. I love hearing that when they have no specific use, they're just going to sit on it. So when you hear that stuff, VTB is flashing in your head. I yeah. Might've... Now, now, typically, you you might even ha have a little bit of an indication before you even walk in a little bit, knowing that um, when you pull title, you can tell typically if there's any financing on it. You can see a little bit of that, correct? Yep. You can also tell if the person's owned it for thirty years. the 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 odds are it's probably been paid off. Yes. And, and Mike shared with one of my favorite questions of all, and it's just a soft way of asking is, so what, what's your plans with, what's your plans after you've done with all this? Or the way he said it is, where are you planning to go on a vacation? Like, what is your plan to do with all this money? Is, Basically, is the yep. Best way to, the best way to just start that conversation. Absolutely. And that's, that's a really good point, Russell. Um, I have, I should ha add that in on the, what the title part you can see when the corporations are formed and you can see if there's registered mortgages, right? So like in the Saskatoon market, if I pull a title and I see that they bought this apartment in 2014, 2015, which was basically at the peak of our market, I know they're probably underwater when I go and walk in there, right? But when you pull title and you see <coughs> they've owned this thing since 1973, it's like, whoa. This yeah. thing is paid off. So to take that another step forward, that would be a trigger to you. If you knew they bought it at a peak, values have come down, they might be a little bit more motivated, but they might not be a good vendor take-back strategy, but they'd be a fantastic agreement for sale opportunity. 
Yes. The VTB will, won't work there, but could be an agreement for sale. Or if you had the cash, like a cash offer, something quick and clean, because they'll just want out. Yep. Nice. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Okay. So we found the property. We're building the relationship with the vendor. It seems like a VTB might be a fit. Now we got to move to step three, which is to educate. So remember off the start of this, I said, you're going to need to understand the VTB so that you can teach it. So now it's time to teach it. So again, I try to quickly assess, is this vendor sophisticated or less sophisticated, right? So if they're sophisticated, then there's no point beating around the bush. Because we have to remember, these, are, these can be savvy people. They own apartments. They know what they're doing. They may have even bought the building with a VTB, and they'll appreciate just being direct, right? They didn't get in this situation by accident. They might even be able to teach you a thing or two. If they're less sophisticated, that's when you have to sort of introduce the concept a little more softly and just see if they're open to it. So that's where I'll just start probing, right? I'll ask some open-ended questions and just see their response. And I'll ask questions to try to like solve their problem. So in the conversation, if they've said something like, I'm worried about my capital gains, right? I'm going to have a huge tax bill when I sell this. I'll say something like, oh, did you know that we could structure this deal so that when you, that you will pay less tax, like we can spread your tax out over five years. Or if they're retiring, like if they give some sort of hint that they're retiring, I'll say to them, hey, we can structure this deal so that this building continues to provide you a monthly income stream even after you've sold it, right? And if that's not working, like if, if I'm trying these sort of soft attack tactics to like get in and see if they're open to it, eventually you'll just have to go direct and just say, hey, are you, are you open to holding financing on the building? But normally you can get there with these sort of soft tactics. Wow. Do you guys understand that Mike has given you guys some absolutely magic words to use? So brilliant. Yeah. And it's fun. I mean, the thing is you, you can prepare because you can know you, you need to understand it so well that no matter where the conversation goes, you just pivot and go with it. Cause it all is going to be happening on the fly. The thing with this step, this step can take a lot of time. So in, in this presentation, these few slides are not proportionate to the amount of time and effort this takes, right? This takes a lot of time and it's kind of an art form. If you, to go back to the fishing analogy, if we try to reel them in too fast, oftentimes they break away from the line and they get away. Yeah. So, so Mike, let's, let's, let's put it in perspective. Now I, I, you don't have to say the exact timeline and it could be ballpark numbers, but from first letter to Frank to, um, meeting Frank, how, how, how long of a ballpark range was that? So this particular case example is my fastest one. Um, okay. I, his letter would have went out either in February or May. I can't remember because two batches went out and I don't remember what batch he was in. Um, and then he called me in the summertime and we closed the deal in October. Yeah. So essentially from February to October, from first contact to close now, but from and you had a lot of time after you had the first conversation back and forth and offers and stuff like that. That was a, a good portion as well, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. you closed on this pretty quickly. Once you removed conditions, you were closed on it in a, in a, in a week, wasn't it? Yeah. Once we paid, like once we papered it, the process went super fast. It was this portion here that took all the time, right? The building, the relationship and the educating kind of go hand in hand. 
I, I probably met with him like at least six times and each time for close to two hours. Right. So that's a, that's a lot of upfront work. Um, but it is worth it when you land a deal like this, like the payoff is there. So my message there is like some things just take time and you're going to have to be <coughs> patient with the process. Anything to add to that, Russell? Nope. Awesome. Keep trucking brother. Okay. So we found the deal. We've built a solid relationship with the vendor. We've educated them on what a vendor take back is and what we can offer. They seem interested down to the final step. We got to land this deal. So the first thing first is put it under contract, right? You want to get that tied up so that you have control of the property, right? And this becomes, this is, can be some of the negotiating and it's a big balancing act between the price and the terms. So the way I always like to think of it is you can have anything, but you can't have everything. So again, going back to when you were gathering information, you need to figure out what their number one priority is and don't assume it's price, right? On this case example, it was not price. And for a while I thought it was, he seemed pretty stubborn on his price, but really what was more important to him was the down payment he ne- he wanted and everything had to be done. Uh, we signed the papers October 4th, October 5th. He was on a plane to Europe for over a month with his family. Those were his motivating factors. Wasn't right? the, the main motivation was he needed a certain amount of money to pay for an t- upcoming tax bill that was coming. Wasn't that it? Absolutely. That's why for him, the down payment was much less negotiable than the price. Right? He moved the price down to get the down payment he wanted. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying it's this balancing act be- between price and terms. And it's not always price. Sometimes on this too, just a quick aside, um, I'll, I'll do a situation where I'll offer, like make multiple offers. So I might make one offer that's just your straightforward, normal, regular purchase agreement. And, and it'll probably be at a bit of a lower price. And then I'll make another offer that's the vendor take back and maybe at a little bit better of a price to try and entice them into that. But with that, a VTB again does not mean you overpay, right? Just because it's a tool that you can pull out of your toolbox doesn't mean you start breaking the rules of real estate and overpay. And that's it on this slide. And that's it on this slide for a purpose because that's how important it is. So we always have to remember that. Okay, so this is also absolutely critical. You have to begin with the end in mind, right? You may. Like if it's your first deal, you might be just so excited that you're going to do this VTB and you can skip the banks and you're going to have this deal under contract, but you have to pause and you have to ask yourself, how are you going to exit it? Right? So in this example with, with my building on Hopkins, our plan was a two year vendor take back and we were exiting the deal by securing CMHC financing, right? In two years. So we knew CMHC was our exit. So we knew that meant there was certain check boxes that needed to be checked off. One of those was an environmental. So with CMHC, you need your phase one environmental to be all clear. So I put that in as a condition of my vendor take back right up front. And then lo and behold, our phase one failed, which was just shocking to us. So we had to go to a phase two. Luckily, the phase two passed. But the point of my story is, 
Could you imagine if we're 22 months down the road and I know that in 24 months, two more months from now, I need CMHC financing and I go and do my environmental and it fails, right? That would be devastating. So you never skip your due diligence. You need your exit path clear before you even enter it. Yeah. And you had to, didn't you negotiate a couple extensions until you could get that passed? And you had, see, here's the brilliance that what Mike did was he had a lender lined up from the beginning to lend on this, to potentially lend on this CMHC style, even though he was using a vendor take back. Okay. He had a lender lined up and he was negotiating, he was talking with the lender all the time. And he just said, you know, his name is Nadim and Nadim, here's what's happening. Is this going to throw my, my refinancing plans out the window? And he goes, absolutely. You probably won't be able to get it. If you don't get this to pass, that's, it's a dead deal. So, but you actually were looking at the, uh, the back door before you even got in the front door. 100%. Yeah. Cause like you, you would completely hang yourself, right? Like I, like if, if you would go, go into that deal with no exit plan, how are you going to pay that vendor out? Right. And then as for like, if you default on that, then you forfeit all your down payment and we were pouring renovation money in. So it was like, I, I needed the exit door wide open before I would even put a toe in the front entrance. Nice. Um, and then a quick little note, just only counting on market appreciation is not an exit strategy. Certainly pro forma that in, right? Like as, as you're kind of analyzing your returns, but if you're banking on like above average screaming market appreciation as your exit plan, that's not an exit plan. That's hoping. So just a word of caution. Uh, more around executing, there's going to be roadblocks. So this goes for realtors, lawyers, and the vendors themselves. If they don't understand, the answer is no, right? Unknown <coughs> equals fear. That's just human nature. So if they're on the listing side of the equation, right? If it's the vendor or the vendor's lawyer, you'll need to educate them. If they're your team member, then you either have the wrong team member or you haven't trained them properly right? Everyone has to be in the know with what's going on. The other thing is to make it simple, right? I quarterback all the paperwork. It's easy for the vendor, right? You want to remove any barrier for, to objection. I would just show up. Here's the paperwork, have your lawyer review it, sign it. But all of it came from my end so that there was no work from them. And then vendor concerns about security. So if you remember back when we were walking through the building, and I said, don't rip the building apart. Take notes on everything that they tell you that's just so great about the building. When they start to raise the objection about security, right? Are my funds secure? So this was a $725,000 uh, mortgage. That's when I just start playing back to them all the wonderful things they've already told me about their building, right? So I can just say, of course, your funds are secure. It's a concrete building. It has a new roof. Everything is so solid. I literally just tell them everything they already told me. So they basically solve the objection for me, right? And then the other thing I love throwing in there is telling them that they can make money just like a bank, right? That, that line always goes over well. Everyone wants to make money like a bank. Um, and time. Time is a tricky one. Uh, this is a delicate balance because you don't want to rush the vendor but you also don't want the building to get away from you, right? You need to get it under contract so you don't lose it. Um, so you want things to move quickly without them feeling pressured. So, yeah. 
benefits to the vendor. So with this, this again is like talking through what comes up for them, telling them about the stream of income, making money like a bank, um, probably better returns than whatever else they're going to do with their money, deferring the capital gains. In this case study, uh, selling a hard-to-sell building, right? For the Hopkins deal, he had only two options, a cash buyer or someone coming through with a vendor take back. Yeah. Um, for them too, they could potentially have a higher sale price, but again, don't overpay. And, and Mike, Mike, what also happened in this building? Was it before you wrote the offer or was it shortly after? What else happened in this building? I guess we're going there. Hey, so yeah. this is, this is a wild one. Um, this was a wild one. So I got to try and I got to get the timeline clear in my head. So I had made contact. We were going back and forth, um, talking about the building. Obviously all the renovations are underway he was very frustrated with everything, but a little more sticky on price. And then there was a murder in the building. Yeah. All of a sudden his motivation level oh, just man. went through the roof. As soon as that murder happened, didn't, you, did it not. Yeah. You couldn't make this stuff up too. And like, if for people that don't know the Saskatoon market, this is a good area, right? Like a murder in this area was very shocking. And it turned out like like how it all went down was wasn't like, it the caretakers like it was a threat to the neighborhood. Wasn't it the, wasn't it the caretaker's child, son or something like that? Or yeah, it was very bizarre. Um, so that halted things. Like he called me because we had a great relationship, and he's like, I, "I I want to keep moving forward, but we have to pause for for like two weeks here. We've got to sort all of this out." And I was like, honestly, it it hit me back too, and I, I was like, "Well." do I want this bill? Like what, like, did I miss something? Like what's going on in here? Um, but it was really, it, it was like you mentioned, it was actually a really good area of town. Was it not? Oh, it's a phenomenal area of town. Like now that we're on the other side, we've rented it or we've renovated everything. We're beating all of our pro forma rents. Yeah. Like it's a great area of town. It was just one of those like weird things that happened. Okay. Um, do you mind if I get a couple, just some, details here, Mike. And I know we're going to, we got a couple more slides and then we're going to open up for Q and a here as well. No, I'm yeah. going to let you finish. And then I have, I have a list of questions and I'll ask you here in a second. Okay, cool. Yep. Yeah. We're almost, we're on the home stretch. So yep. uh, benefits to us as the purchaser, I talked about the velocity of money. I mean, that is so important. How fast can you rotate that capital, that VTB, like VT Burr, um, <laughs> flexible terms. I mean, flexible terms are really important. We're interest-only payments right now because we're renovating the building. So I can redeploy all that cash into updating the units. Um, opportunities for people that may not have down payment money or poor credit, right? You can negotiate all of that, close fast, lower fees. And again, don't skip due diligence. I'm really hammering on that. And then the, the pearl. Th this, is, this is really awesome, right? We, we touched on this earlier. The vendor is a potential future investor. They're already sold on real estate, right? They bought into real estate. They've owned real estate. And then they just get to watch you professionally execute on everything you said you were going to do and deliver on everything you said you were going to do. So when that vendor take back closes, right? When Frank gets his check for 725000 and since we go for coffee still anyway, guess what I'm going to ask him? I'm going to yeah. say, hey, what are you doing with that cash? You want to put it to work? Right. Yeah. And we just built the relationship. So that's a huge one. And that's where this can go both ways. So, wow. Because you, you absolutely know in two years' time that Frank's going to have a $725,000 lump sum of money. 
Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Wow. You know, you can start planning for it now. I can have deals ready to go so that as soon as that hits, I can be like, hey, by the way. Well, doesn't Frank, Frank also owns other properties and he also knows other people that own other properties too. That's the thing. Once you're like in this world, this is why when we go back, like all the way back through this presentation, I know there's things that I'm doing that other people will disagree with, right? Like I'm, I may be sometimes more passive and everything's about the polite professional. Cause like I said, I'm playing the infinite game. I'm not going in there for one specific deal and trying to strong arm someone and, 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 you know, getting every dime I can. Cause I want him to have a great experience and I want him to invest with me. I want him to tell all of his friends. And then I want to buy all of his friends buildings. Well, Mike, it's the Saskatchewan way. I guess so. <laughs> I guess it is. Nice. Keep going. Okay. So, so yeah, we're just wrapping up here. So let's review the process here. So uh, step number one, we got to go out and we find the deal. So we talked about the spear fishing versus the casting the net. Then we got to work on building that relationship with the vendor. As we're building the relationship, we're going to start educating them. And then once we've, we've kind of figured out that this thing can go, this can be a VTB, we're going to execute on that deal. So right now, that alone is kind of a system that can help everyone here sort of break free from that like shackles of the poor deal flow and the lack of capital that we started this presentation with. And this is exactly where I am right now, right? Like I'm in the middle of this as we speak. And now for me, I'm taking the next steps. So the next steps for me is duplication. So I can take this system and I can do it as many times as I want. I can do one deal. I can do two. I can do 10. It doesn't matter. Once I have the buildings, I need to optimize them. And then with my system, I can keep refining the system, right? I said, I wish I wouldn't have done it on paper. I should have done it right from the start on, on a laptop. So optimize all of those systems. And then the last part, which is the most important part to me is meaning. I mean, anyone that knows me, this is why we're all doing it. You know, the real estate doesn't matter. It's all about the lifestyle design and the meaning and what we can create. And so for me, this is why we, we Riley made a few appearances in, in the presentation, you know, and now that she's in our life, uh, we're just so thrilled with it. So for me, that's why we do all of it is the meaning around it. So that's what I got for you guys. Hope wow. there was some value for everyone. And yeah. Was this, this was your first presentation, Mike? Well, this is my first presentation of like an hour long with a PowerPoint. I did, uh, remember I did like a six and a half minute blitz presentation at a SIPE event where, where you just got to stand up and talk. And I, I being from Saskatchewan, I've done 4-H public speaking, <laughs> but that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, Guys, jump into the chat box. Give Mike a little bit of feedback for that. That was phenomenal. That was absolutely phenomenal. Wow. Um, Mike, if you could stop sharing the screen, would be great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you no bet. worries. Um, I have some questions for you. Um, I'm not going to put you on the spot with some numbers, but I'm going to uh, let's fill in a few more of the, the gaps in here as well. So, whole bunch of things. Kristen says, great job. Latif, well done. Ben says, love it. Brendan says, tons of value. Brian Banks, well done, buddy. Proud of you. Leanna, excellent presentation. Carissa, awesome presentation. Katharina, um, amazing. Great job, Mike, from Pete. So that was phenomenal. Absolutely just top drawer, man. Like I told, like in the introduction, Mike, everything I have ever given you to do, you have handled it 
not only handled it, you've excelled at doing it. So just this is just one more example of you excelling at everything given to you and handled. Wow. wow. Thanks, Russell. I'm, I'm, very, I'm, I'm sorry if this is a, a, a too, a, a, not a word. I'm, I'm very proud of you. I'm very, very proud of you, of seeing who you, you've become over the last couple of years. When we first met, you were, you, you were hobbling around. You were broken. In, in essence, you had a broken leg, in essence, when you first met. I did. I don't Literally even recognize. Figuratively. I don't even recognize the man I see in, in this camera anymore. You are a completely different person. So, yeah. so phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, a couple of things I want to just I want to just fill in a few of the details here, Mike. Okay, purchase price of this property. What was the purchase price? Uh, we landed on nine seventy five. So nine seventy five. Okay. And I will I'll add in because this one is is weird. Um, nine seventy five also included all of the renovation materials that he had already purchased, right? Because he had showers and toilets and vanities and flooring um, and some countertops but it was all just sitting randomly in the building. Right. Yeah. So you actually got some of the materials included in this as well. We got pretty much most of the materials. Like he had bought everything. He just hadn't installed it. Wow. Um, the vendor take back was seven twenty five. Yes. Now, if my, then you, you there's, so there's obviously a difference. You raised that capital from a friend of yours. Um, one of your investment partners who's been just sitting in the wings waiting for something. Right. Um, yes. And let's call him Frank Jr. I don't know what we'll call him. <laughs> um, how, much, how much capital did you raise from your friend? Uh, he came to the deal with 300000 300000 So essentially you raised a little over the purchase price. So you, you raised enough for the renovation costs and things like that. Yes. And, and like this deal could have been executed with less money, but Frank was so sticky on the down payment. Like he would not move on the down payment. Like we pushed it to the point where the deal almost fell apart, but he moved the purchase price down to compensate. Yeah. So essentially he needed to, didn't he need $250,000 is the number he needed. Yep. So you raised 300. So you raised an additional 50,000 for the renovation. Plus you had a lot of the materials that were already built in. So essentially you raised a million 25. Based on the numbers yeah, you give I me guess, here. I guess so, yeah. um, When you bought the place, how many vacant units was there in the property? Uh, eight. I mean, seven vacant, but one of the tenants was not paying rent. So uh, they got kicked out immediately. So it was eight vacant units out of 11. Is that correct? Yeah. On our, like our first month of owning the property, uh, there was three tenants actually paying rent significantly below market value rent too. Right. So you also hired a local person in Saskatoon to start doing all the rent. You Brad, some of you might know Brad Blair with um oh what's their the company name again? Spruce Homes. Spruce Homes. Spruce Homes. So you hired Brad to go and do all the renovations. And the good yeah. news is you had lots of vacant units to go into. Yeah, honestly like it 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 probably works out as like best case scenario because you can just plow through the units, right? Like you don't have to play the game of waiting for a tenant to move out. We had all the materials. They were all vacant. So the plumber can come in and do all the showers, right? All the toilets, the guy doing the flooring can come do all the flooring. So our renovation timeline, and then therefore our time to fill the building, like we're beating everything we pro forma 
Um, so we did a two year vendor take back, but I put the option in there that I don't have a penalty if I break it early. Yeah. So, so you, and, you closed on October. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, it's now February. Yes. How many units do you now have rented? I think we have two left to rent one or two. I, I can't remember if one unit is filled or not. Um, yeah. So you, you now have nine units rented out of the 11? Or For 10? sure, nine, maybe 10. I'd have to go double check. Okay. Um, since October, Mike, how many times have you been at this building? I don't even know if I should answer that. My, well, my investor could be watching. No, <laughs> I, go, I try to get there at least every two weeks. Off the start, I was going weekly. Um, a few weeks, I went twice a week, but now it's probably every second week. Um, and to be honest, some weeks it's probably slipped every three weeks just because it's just ticking along. Did you swing a hammer? Did you do any of the work in any of the properties? I did nothing, nothing. And you nothing work wise. Yeah. Yeah. And you estimate this building will be full when, uh, very soon we're having, we've found a little like pocket of, um, some immigrants are moving in and they keep referring all their friends. So like the building is filling much faster than we expected at so, higher rents too. At higher rents, yeah. So I mean and I'd like to say oh I planned that all out but I didn't. That was just a pleasant bonus. Now um, to your best estimation let's let's say for argument's sake it's full by April 1st. Okay? Based on everything that's done. What's your best estimation of the valuation of this property based upon the NOI and based upon the numbers that you would, your best estimation of value of the property? I'm going with about 1.2. I'm guessing maybe a bit better than 1.2. Um, okay, let's just use 1.2. Maybe 1.25. Okay, 1.25. Okay. I'm just running some quick numbers here. Minus 975. Oh. Ah. One two five zero minus nine seventy five equals two hundred seventy five thousand dollars lift from yeah. October to April. Yeah, it'll take us a touch of time to get that money out with the CMHC process, um, yeah. but we'll we'll have all that money out hopefully by the end of summer slash early fall. Um. Okay. I, if I were you, here's I'm going to give you some side coaching here for a second. Um, if you don't have a specific plan or Frank doesn't want to reinvest that money back with you, I would not, I would not refinance that if possible until the end of the year too. Yeah. Um, oh, with, oh, sorry, with Frank, right. Sorry. Yeah. I'm meeting the investor partner tomorrow because they want to do more of these deals. Mm -hmm. um, but I see what you're saying. Yes. With Frank. Because if you're getting that those terms and you're getting, you're getting a fairly good interest rate on it as well. I would not cash that money out. Yeah. It'll come down to what's the best use. If we can yep. cash out and deploy it better, or yep. if it makes sense to leave it in and wait till that like month 24, then that's what we'll do. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. Thank nice you. deal. Nice deal. Um, yeah. right from soup to nuts, guys, this is, this is a real, this couldn't get any more real life right from Mike sharing with you how he 
rides the neighborhoods, how he pulls the title, how he finds the owners, how he negotiates it, right down to the renovation plan and the moving forward of going of going there too. How many how many deals are you on your whiteboard? Are you actively kind of following up and circling with Mike? Now here's another tip, guys. On Mike's whiteboard, he has a names of investors that he's following up with, and he has names of deals that he's following up with, and he has little check marks every time he follows up, and he has it in his calendar of when he does these things. Yeah, uh, we've got pretty good deal flow going on right now. Um, they're not all on my whiteboard. Some are in the filing cabinet. I would, I'm guessing like 10 buildings that we're like actively discussing on. That doesn't mean we're going to close 10 of them at all. It just means that we're in discussion and we're seeing where it goes. Some of those though have been over a year. Like my very first letter campaign had people reach out that I'm still in touch with that are kind of just waiting for the right time. Yeah. And the market conditions have not, have actually softened a little bit since then. So you're actually re-engaging and saying, guys, the market hasn't changed in the last year. It's actually gotten a little worse. Are you still interested in selling? Yeah, it's a very interesting market out here. Um, If you have a long-term time horizon, like say seven years, 10 years, I mean, just it's tremendous buying opportunity right now. Um, But I I sure wouldn't want to be selling my multifamily portfolio right now. Yeah. All right. So some questions come in. So guys, here's if you can do this for me as follows. Open up the chat box and type your questions in and I'll read them in here for Mike and I can chime in as well a little bit too. Um, Joel asks, so much value. Thank you. Question. When refinancing from the vendor take back, do you still have to provide a guarantee on the new loan financing since you own the building already? Yes. In this situation, yes. Um, So like we said, I was already lining up the CMHC exit and they want to see 50% of the shareholder of of the like structure that we own this building in guaranteeing the loan, right? Because we'll be taking it up to probably an 80%, maybe an 83% LTV. Um, So on those higher leverage loans, you still have to guarantee it. So in essence, you almost pre-qualified in advance for this in, in, in a little, in many respects. Essentially. Yeah. Like in the multifamily space, you qualify more on your yep. net worth. Um, so our net worth is decent and my investors net worth is very strong. So there's really no issue. I think the rough rule is you, your net worth has to be at least 25% of the loan value, which is no problem. Yeah. So. Um, your investor, is he, uh, one of your ideal avatar investors? He is exactly my ideal <laughs> avatar investor. <laughs> and he's, he's, he's a, he's a veterinary. Uh, he owns a vet clinic. Yep. Yeah. You betcha. He, he, he fits your avatar to a T. As a matter of fact, you probably created your avatar from him almost. Yeah. You know, he wasn't the first draft, the first time we went through this exercise, I was going off thinking it needed to be something different. And then as we worked through the process and all of the other stuff that like me quitting my job led to was like, man, I can really help veterinarians. And then my avatar completely shifted. Uh, Veterinarians are center bullseye. And then any medical professional caregiver provider is sort of secondary bullseye because I can speak their language and I know what they're going through. Now, your investor also has friends in the same boat that he's at, and he's talked to his friends, which are now your friends. 
Absolutely. That's how it seems to work. Yeah. Now, do you see the value of Mike sharing a presentation like this to investors that just give people the confidence that he knows what he's talking about? Okay. Um, question from Peter asked the question, what was uh, Frank's interest rate? What were some of the terms on the VTB? What was the interest rate and things like that? Yeah, this one is 5% interest only payments. Um, <laughs> I feel good with five. I, I did try to get that lower. Um, I think we started at like three, you know, I was trying to like, I knew three wasn't going to fly. Um, but yeah, five is where we landed interest only. Zach asked the question, Hey, Michael, what do you think the most challenging step in the whole process? If you had one piece of advice, someone to try out the VTB brewer, what would that be? Oh man. Okay. Um, the one piece of advice, this is off the top of my head is it's It's gotta be a system because it's a numbers game, right? Like unless you just get lucky and reach out to one apartment and they, and that happens to work but it's a whole system, right? Like I'm sending out way more contact than people actually reply. Um, so develop the whole system and it will eventually like yield some fruit for you. And then what do I think is the most challenging step in the whole process? Oh man, that's a good question. Like keeping the vendor moving along. Uh, maybe that would be what it is like. And what I mean by that is like, Sometimes, sometimes they're really motivated, but sometimes they're really not in a hurry at all because they're in such amazing financial situations, right? Like if they own the building free and clear, even though it's underperforming, they don't have a mortgage payment. So they don't even really notice it. Right. And remember they're snowboard snowbirds and they're living away. So it can be really frustrating. Like I come back to my whiteboard and I'm like, man, it's been six weeks since this person responded to me. And that's how it is. We'll go eight weeks where I don't hear from them. And it's not that they're blowing me off. It's that they're in Europe and they can't be bothered. Yeah. And just think about with this guy, he had eight vacant units and that wasn't his main hot button. His main hot button was he wanted to lump sum of $250,000 to pay a tax bill that was upcoming. So, and I got to just tell this story too, because this just blew my mind. Like when I talk about never assuming like when I walked through the building, I, I just said to him, I was like, well, why don't you just advertise some of these units? Like some of them were ready to rent and he had no advertising of any sort. And his answer was, well, then I would make more money. <laughs> and I was like, like, you can't wrap your head around that. Like this, they, they make too much money. He doesn't even want to rent his units. And I was like, okay, don't rent yeah. them then. Yeah, but there's a, a lesson on the power of real estate held for a long period of time to get it free and clear. And I had people arguing with me about eventually having a free and clear property. But anyways, I digress. Um, couple things. How was the process of putting this presentation together for you, Mike? All righty. Couple thoughts on that. I'm not techie. The tech side of it was very painful, like getting the cameras and the microphones and everything. Rosalie, I put words on the PowerPoint. Rosalie did all of the pictures and formatting. Yep. Um, but honestly, the process, when we discussed this, Russell, and you said, how about this idea? You do a presentation on February 19th. And I was like, ugh, and like pulled back. And it's like, as soon as you pull back, that's when you know you should step forward. So I just said, yes, even though like, I didn't really know how this was going to work and it just makes things happen. 
right? Like you just get it done. I had been delaying setting up this equipment for months. Like I had it in my closet. I just didn't have a good reason to set it up. So I don't know if that's answering your question, but the urgency it creates is phenomenal. Now, now here's the, another thing. And guys, this is for coaching for everybody as part of the Raising Capital Academy on how this can ripple out from here. So Mike, um, what's the plan with this presentation uh, going forward? What are, you, what are you planning to do with this? Um, well, I'm planning to like, like market the kind of crap out of it. You know, like one of my big goals for 2020 is just way more sort of content production and being way more active. Uh, and one of my struggles is time of getting content available. So with this, I mean, I don't even, we're going to have just tons of like little video snippets and little things I can pull from it. Um, so we've just created months and months of content that I can throw out on my like Instagram and Facebook stories and posts and LinkedIn blog posts, um, and just sort of keep spreading that word. Yep. And this presentation, uh, once we, we kind of regroup after and talk about it after you can package this up and you can ship this off to, um, meetup groups, to conferences, to podcast owners, to places and say, guys, I got a presentation where I'd love to share with your audience how I did a $725,000 vendor take back. And I'd love to walk you through this case study. Now, all of a sudden, now you're gaining authority and you're becoming a bigger influencer. And you know what's going to come out of all of that too, Mike? What do you think is going to come? More opportunities of all sorts. More opportunities are going to come. There's going to be yeah. stuff that comes from that. So guys, one of the reasons why I, I really pushed Mike to do this is because there's a huge thing. There's an echo effect because because a couple things happen. I'm a firm believer in um, the more you teach something and when you teach something, the more you help get held accountable to do more. You teach something, you will do more of it. I guarantee there'll be more opportunities coming your way from a vendor take back standpoint for your business. And there'll also be podcast opportunities. We know a good friend of ours down in the Michigan, Michigan and more yeah, uh, yeah. events. There's a guy down in the States that who you introduced me to. I'm pretty sure he would love to see this presentation too. And this could just ripple out into multiple different places that Mike will just gain reach across um, uh, larger platforms. So absolutely. And I do, I'm good. I do want to share one thing that happened behind the scenes here in the setup to all of this. Uh, that Russell and I had some conversations about. So it was my, uh, like probably a scarcity mindset where I was saying to Russell, you know, I'm a little bit reluctant to open my playbook because I've spent a lot of time on it. And in a way I was like, Oh, this is kind of my secret sauce. Some of it, you know? Um, and I was a little bit reluctant to like capture it on video record it, and just give it to everyone. Um, and it was Russell, like through the conversations of like flipping that mindset of like, it's all about providing value, right? The more value, like, and I truly do believe that the more value you give, the more that comes back to you. Right. Yeah. And, and I told you what, how did I frame it for you? I said, why don't you picture this, Mike? Some, not everybody's investing in your marketplace picture. You are presenting this to Aaron McConnell in Fredericton, New Brunswick. And Aaron's going to take this information of just one or two trip tips, and he's going to go buy himself an apartment building based upon this. 
Now that is a powerful way of sharing and helping. Oh man, that would make my day. Then it's all worth it. Cause that's, that is like that last slide about meaning that's not put in there just for fluff. That is 100% what it's all about. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. All right, guys, does anyone have any more questions? You got us here. I know, sorry, we went a little over time, but there was just so much there. There was just, I just wanted to just kind of wrap it up and just kind of just really dive deep into this, this, this pool here. When you got, when you got some, we're, we're truly in the, in the brilliance of, of Mr. Michael Bug. Michael, how old are you now? Uh, we just, I just turned 35 last Wednesday and uh, Rosalie and I share the same birthday. So we're both 35. 35. Wow. Yeah. Wow. As guys, when I, when I introduced them, there is just so much upside in this young man. And you guys are going to see some amazing things coming from him in the near future. So guys, jump into the chat box. Let's just do a, a little great little bit of some gratitude. And everybody, I want to just end off here tonight with everybody is how I always end off. Every time you have an opportunity to interact with somebody, make sure they be feeling inspired, encouraged, and always come from a place of love. Okay, guys. Good night. Good night. Awesome. Good night. Good night. Thanks, See everyone. you soon, everybody. Hey, no joke, guys. Wasn't that an incredible opportunity to dive into? Like, I... I, I pinched myself a few times during that presentation and I think I even mentioned a few times I was just sitting there and basking in the brilliance of Mr. Michael Bug. So first and foremost, Mike, if you are watching this, I hope you are watching this to analyze the film. Um, you did an amazing job. Just so honored and so proud to share that webinar with you. You did a phenomenal job. And guys, if you're part of the Raising Capital Academy, and if you didn't catch it live and you're watching this replay, reach out to Mike, send him some love, send him a big high five, tell him I tell him you watched that, that implementation webinar, and just tell him he just knocked it out of the park, which he truly did. Okay, gang, we're just getting warmed up. This is webinar number 16. I'm going to be diving into a whole bunch more tactical presentations like this, but there's another lesson there for you. There are more webinars. There's more standing on the shoulders of Giants interviews. This community is, I firmly believe, the deepest and most wealthiest resource rich of people and information of any program that you will find out there and community that you will uh, find out in, in the marketplace. Now, I know those are pretty big words, but you know what? Each and every day I get up with that mantra to make that my goal is to make it the best of the best. And only because of you, only because of each and every one of the members of the Raising Capital Academy is the reason why this is the best of the best training program, the best community with the best people. If you are watching this presentation and you're not yet a member of the Raising Capital Academy, what are you waiting for? This community is of like-minded investors. It is an entire deep dive look into the how to solve the biggest obstacle you will face in real estate investor, and that is where to find the capital. So if you are watching this video and you like to check it out and you maybe like to apply, this is by application only for enrollment into this community. Wherever you're watching this video, around this video will be a link to take you to an information page. Check out that page. All the details are on that page and I can't wait to see you on the other side. This is just to be truly honest, this is probably about one-tenth of one percent of the entire depth of content and materials and people that you will find in this community. So if you are interested in checking out around this video, there will be a link. Check it on out and can't wait to see you on the other side. Okay, bye for now, everybody. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to the Russell Westcott Podcast. Before you run off, could you do us one final favor? Wherever you're listening to this episode, we encourage you to leave a review, share with your friends, and subscribe so you can receive the latest episode to keep you feeling inspired and encouraged for the entire week. Visit www.russellwestcott.com for more information, support resources, and upcoming speaking engagements near you. Bye for now.